Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, on this summer morning, we are grateful for the season of growing that we are in. And Lord, we're especially grateful for your Holy Spirit, who is the one who causes all things to grow, including our own hearts with the peace of your kingdom. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, and we look to you, our Prince of Peace. Amen. You may be seated. On this Memorial Day weekend, I, uh, I couldn't help but think about how much we need peace and how difficult it is to have peace in this world. It's an embattled, hard-won kind of peace that we have. We remember on Memorial Day weekend that uh, we don't live in a country where we're, we're, for instance, free to meet like this and worship God without some cost having been paid and much blood having been spilled. There's a lot of trouble in this world. And it's important for us to realize that there's trouble, um, but that we're not alone in that trouble. And whatever trouble we have, it is not the final word. That Jesus is with us in our trouble and he brings us through it. It's because he's the Prince of Peace and he's already won a victory for us. There's so much about that I wanna explore this morning and the desperate need for it really hit hard home for me this last week. I got an email. Um, I'm part of the CYT board, Christian New Theater board. I've mentioned that before to a few of you. And uh, I got an email this week about a young woman who grew up in our program, was a friend of my daughter, Kirsten's, had been in musicals with her. And um, I got a note from her dad saying that she had passed away. And um, it was a really tough letter to read, a really tough letter to read. Her, um, her story was that she was... She's actually enrolled in the Navy. She was a physician in the Navy. She'd studied pediatrics. And um, she was in a situation where her commanding officer was just so brutal and so constantly critical of her. And he never, ever let up. And she was writing emails to her parents. Mom, I'm in a really dark place right now. I don't know if I'm going to make it. And mom and dad are out here, you know, and she's on this ship. And it is just, you know, relentless and it got so dark for her that she couldn't take it anymore. And so she decided to not take it anymore in the worst way possible. It's an incredible tragedy. The evil that was wrought in her life and how she experienced it in that time and couldn't find her way back to peace and couldn't find her way back to the Lord. And her dad writes reflecting on that, that you know, we raised her in a Christian home we even homeschooled her. We wanted her to know that she was loved. And we raised her to do well. She was a very loving and obedient young girl, very creative. And um, so she always wanted to please people. She could never please this guy, never. And um, he said, you know, we prepared her for many things, but the one thing we didn't prepare her for was the abuse that she was gonna receive at this guy's hands didn't prepare her for that cruelty. That haunts me. And it haunts this dad. That the truth is that there is horror in this world. And it's really hard sometimes. It's brutal. And sometimes it's not hard just in the world out there and we feel that intensity and it hurts us. But it's actually really close to home. I mean, a lot of us have experienced what we call the beloved enemy, right? The one who's supposed to love you and they don't. It's really brutal then. What Jesus does is he does prepare us for this. 
he actually does prepare the disciples for the worst that the world was going to deliver to them and particularly to Jesus and his own very life. He prepares them for it. He becomes a person of peace and a victor in peace and he makes them to be peacemakers. He gives them a way to not have to live under cruelty and be defined by it. It's a beautiful and powerful and hopeful and victorious way that Jesus gives us. And it's something that we can live in and we can bring others into and we can be people who are peacemakers. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And uh, that's the calling for each of us. Uh, we could translate it as children of God, for it's everyone here, but the connotation of sons of God is that you have all the authority that a firstborn son, like Jesus himself would have, to have authority over the darkness, to have authority over the cruelty of the world, and not to be defined by it, but to live according to a different reality and a different peace that's already won the victory. That you can be these sons of God, and that's the truth of who we are. And he gives us a way to enter into that. He gives us a way, like he did for the disciples, to live it out and to be ministers of it. I want to talk about three different ways that the Lord causes peace to grow in us. And the first I've sort of begun to deal with already, and that is that um, he, he prepares us for peace. Okay? He, um, he does, like a good father does. He prepares us for the fact that the world is troubled. He doesn't want our hearts to be defined by that. Let not your hearts be troubled. He doesn't want us to live in fear. Let them be not afraid. But he wants us to be aware that there is trouble in the world. And so he prepares us for peace. And so the call for us is to prepare for peace. And the way that Jesus does that with the disciples, I think we, we also need to do. And that's just to understand and admit that, first of all, you really need that peace. Why? Because the world is troubled. It really is messed up, and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's very close to home when it hurts. Sometimes it's a mom or a dad, even, who's been the one that hurts us. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to be with you even in that. Even if your mother and your father forsake you, I will make a home for you, he says in Psalm 27. So first of all, just admit that you need it, and that sometimes the trouble gets really close to home, and it's upsetting. And sometimes it's cruel, but don't let it define you. Prepare for it. Be aware that that's going to happen. He says a few other things, too, by way of preparing for peace. He says, I want you to remember my words. I want you to remember my words. And with Jesus, his words are everything that he's done. It's the things that he said, but especially in the Gospel of John, he says, I want you to remember my words, my commands. And he has two particular ways that he does that throughout John. One is to say, I want you to love one another as I've loved you. He's just washed their feet, right? He's just washed their feet of the dirt that you pick up in the world, like the mess of life, or maybe even the cruelty of life that comes on your, on your, on your soul sometimes. And he's loved them in the midst of their mess, and he's cleansed them of that. And he wants us to love in the same way. Love as I have loved you. And he even says, there's a love that's greater than any other love, and it's when you lay down your life for a friend. And this is the kind of love he calls us to. So remember these words and live by these words, and my father will come and make his home with you. And you won't be alone. And somehow, 
by remembering his words and all the things that he has said and done actually is a ministry to us in the midst of a difficult world. When Jesus says, greater love is no man than this, and he lays down his life for a friend, the way that he actually expresses it and lives it out is that he goes to the cross. So right there, smack in the middle of the worst that the world had to deliver to him, he is there loving all the way to the end. He's planted that cross right in Golgotha, Skull Mountain, right in the midst of death, if you will. The worst that we can go through, and he's lived there, and he's brought love there, and love was not defeated, death was defeated. In the midst of tragedy and evil, that is not the last word. Love goes right through that, and it penetrates it, and it has victory over it. It's not just the cross, though, is it? It's the Holy Spirit ministering to us the reality, not just of the cross, but of the resurrection as well. And this is the life that can't be killed. This is the life that can't be robbed. This is the togetherness with God that no abandonment or betrayal or denial, all of which the disciples did to Jesus, can overcome now. And this is a home, for instance, that can't be shaken anymore by evil. And that's a reality you can live in that you can find security in. That's the reality of the resurrection. It's a different atmosphere. I've talked about it that way before. And um, he lives in that reality even before he goes to the cross. That's why he can say, I'm telling you in advance, it's going to be bad for a while. But I don't want you to be troubled by it. But I want you to realize, if you really got what I'm saying, you would have joy because I'm going to a father who's greater than all of this. He's already himself living in the reality right now. That's Jesus, the word of God. He was living in that reality right then at that moment before it had been accomplished even for himself or for us. He's living in the reality of a God who's greater than everything and the father who's greater, whose household is over all the other households that are troubled. He's already living in that. So you could anticipate that and rejoice in that. And these are the ways that he says, I want you to prepare for peace. But because it's um, a a unique peace, it's a a peace that's not like the world, it actually has to come to us in a unique way as well. I I think what Jesus is saying is, I I want you to remember these words, and that means I want you to live by them. I want you to love one another as I've loved you. But actually, that's really difficult sometimes, especially when things are horrible. Especially when the person that, you know, is coming at you and you're called to love your enemy, like they're in your face. How do you do that? Right? That's really difficult. Jesus gives us a way. He gives us a way and it's through his Holy Spirit. The way that he ministers it to the disciples after the resurrection has occurred and they're not aware of it, they're still living in the reality of like, oh, the distress of the death of the Lord. And they're in the upper room, and it says that they're afraid. So he's been saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid. And there they are, they're afraid. And that happens to us, right? Uh, All the words that I'm saying to you, I think you're like, yeah, I'd like to not be afraid. I'd like to not be troubled. And sometimes we still are. And that was true for the disciples, too. And I think John, he's writing this entire gospel. If we can remind ourselves, he's writing this entire gospel to a church that's troubled. And why are they troubled? They're troubled because they're really persecuted a lot. We know nothing of persecution here. Maybe our friends and brothers and sisters in Africa do, but we don't. But they are persecuted and they are in the upper room and they're afraid. 
And John's writing to them, I don't want you just to have these words. I want you to realize how he ministered the reality of the words. How did he manifest the reality of the words? Because that's the question here in the gospel, right? Lord, you're saying that you're going to manifest yourself to to us, but not to the world. I don't really understand that. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to make my home with you. I'm going to come to you. And it's the Holy Spirit who's going to make it come real. The Holy Spirit. And so you're going to know from within. You're going to know in a way that nobody in the world can touch if you'll receive it. And let me remind you of it. And let me ultimately breathe it into you. So Jesus, the second thing I want to say is that we have to practice peace. When he comes to disciples in the upper room, what does he do? He breathes on them. And I, and I think we just pass over that passage, and I, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, but I am still there. I'm still in like the mystery of why God did that. He breathes on them in the upper room. They're afraid. And his presence, of course, is a victory presence. He's resurrected, and that in itself is encouraging. So the first thing is, he's present with them, and then he breathes on them, and then he says, I'm forgiving you, and I want you to be ministers of this forgiveness, essentially. That's what he's doing. But he breathes on them. I think a lot of times when we're in our worst distress, and we want to have peace, we can't make it happen. We can't manufacture it. We need to receive it. One of the most fundamental things about life is breathing, isn't it? And in fact, to be a human being, you need to have breath. Every animal has to have breath. And when Jesus, or when God rather, breathes into Adam and Eve, they have life. And that's the sign of the divine presence and blessing in them. And then it's the same thing for the disciples now. These are resurrection lungs now breathing in the Holy Spirit into them. And he continues to do that from the special vantage point of being in heaven in glory. And so there's a powerful, powerful release of the Holy Spirit that's available to us. I was um, watching my two grandbabies the other day. And um, I realized that at a certain point, I I was not able to really help them. They were just so distressed. And if uh, you've ever hung around in a nursery for any length of time, that sort of stuff is really contagious. Um, I was holding Verona on one hip and Car- uh, uh, Charlie on the other, Charlotte, but Charlie is what we call her, and Verona on either hip. And then something happened, and I don't know what happened. I think it was Verona started to cry first. And then Charlie's looking at her like, oh, she's distressed, you know. And then I'm looking at these two little babies, and they both have this horrified look in their eyes. Oh, no! Ah! (laughs) They're screaming, and the screaming leads to screaming, which leads to screaming, which leads to screaming. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, Eric, just take take a deep breath. I'm breathing, Lord, I'm breathing in your peace. Like, I've learned how to minister this to myself, but they're not getting it. (laughs) I'm like, oh, Lord, you're bigger than this. I know you are. I can, you know, minister this to them. And I realized that they're so caught up in distress that they needed a break. They needed a complete break. They needed to take a break. I think Jesus is good with the fact that the disciples are in the upper room. They took a break, okay? He does this all the time. He withdraws. He takes a break, okay? He pulls away. I think one of the things that happens for us when we become Christians, one of the first things that happens for us after we declare our faith is we become baptized. That is a clean break. 
with the enemy. It's a clean break with the warlike ways of the world. And then we come into peace, breathed into us by the Prince of Peace. And literally, in ancient times, the priest would breathe into you to communicate that, to convey to you, this is a different way of life. You're breathing in different, rarefied air, and it's peaceful air. So it's a break and it's breath. These are ways that we can practice peace. By the way, I, 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 um, I, I've done this too, okay? So sometimes when I'm really freaked out, I have moments now where I actually feel like I'm having a little bit of a panic attack. I know some of us here sometimes have a panic attack. And it's not rational. It isn't rational. I can tell myself all day long the words to set my soul at ease. That's not going to help, typically. Karen's nodding her head a lot up here, our resident psychotherapist who specializes in this area. Um, but one of the things that, that I've done is um, I've taken cold water and I've splashed it on my face and I've done just like the Holy Church, the Holy Church has done for centuries and said, oh, let this put me in mind of my baptism. And when the, when the early Christians were in distress, what were they doing? They were often saying them to themselves, I've been baptized. I am a son of God. I am a son of God. I'm not defined by the stuff that's happening around me right now. And that creates a break and it renews the break that I have with the, the kingdom of turmoil and trouble. And it renews the truth of me living in a kingdom of peace. Because I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a child of God. I live in a reality of peace. And I can live into it at any moment. And then I'll breathe in. So with the babies, if I can get them to look at me, and I just go like... They will often do it with me, and they'll, they'll settle. And uh, there's something about what I would say is the, like a seven-second rule. So I'm just going to give you something very practical here if you're in a place of distress. We have to become the temple of God. We have to become the temple of God in which the Holy Spirit freely roams and holds sway in our lives. And so when I breathe in air, I want to be breathing in the Holy Spirit as well. It's not just the oxygen of this atmosphere. So I connect it to prayer. And the way that I do it is I'll breathe in one long breath, and I have one of two prayers, and you can write these down. One is, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. And I'll say that twice on the intake and say that twice on the outtake. So it takes about seven seconds to say that in your mind as you're breathing in, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. And I breathe that in really slowly. There is no way in the long run, if you continue in that and then breathe out the same way slowly, that you're going to be able to remain in a state of distress for a long time. But I actually think because it's a prayer as well, it's quite beautiful. And you really do have a bit of a down payment of the kingdom which is to come. I think that's what Jesus is doing. He's breathing into them. He's giving them a down payment of the eternal peace that nobody will be able to take away. All right, so that's just some practical ways in which you can enter into this process. The, um, the other thing that he does, by the way, is he's, he's ministering to them a reality of a kingdom which is to come. So sometimes the peace is what you need in the moment, but you also need the confidence that ultimately everything's going to be resolved. So that's why, for instance, John, he's got this incredible picture of the better destiny that we're headed for. We read this in Revelation, right? 
There's a place where every tear will be wiped away. This is what my friend, who's the father of Kaylee, who's, who's gone to be with the Lord, and I do believe that, this is what he takes solace in right now. Because right now there is trouble in his family, but ultimately the Lord's gonna resolve it, and every tear will be wiped away. And this is the greater joy that's ahead. So we can root ourselves in that and even in our prayer. Oh, by the way, I forgot the other prayer. It's the Jesus prayer. I want to make sure I said that, right? You, some of you are going to come to me later and say, you said two prayers, you only gave me one. Whenever I'm afraid, um, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. And the second one is the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So those are both beautiful prayers to pray when you're in these moments. And, um, and also to put yourself in mind, not just of the, the, the peace that is here for the moment, but the peace which is sure to come, too. These are ways that you can enter into the peace that the Lord has for you. The last thing that I want to say is that Jesus is commissioning them in the upper room to be ministers of peace. So really it's about passing the peace. We talked about preparing for peace, practicing peace, and then passing the peace. Um, I was in a kind of a, a situation for the last few years where I was helping two couples in ministry who had had a huge falling out. And they actually had to separate their ministries for a while, so they were taking a break. And they were in so much distress about how they thought the others thought of them and what they had done to them or not done to them that they really couldn't be together. They couldn't even minister together. I, th I think of it as like when Paul and Barnabas separated, you know. They actually needed a time, a break from each other. And then what happened um, recently was we finally realized after a few years that the Lord was making time now for them to be reconciled. I'd been working with each of them. I'd become sort of, I guess you could say, the, the mediator. I, I just ended up being the pastor between these two different couples. I think it's something that often we're called to do is to be people of peace. And we have to first be in peace before we can do that, right? You have to somehow be in the reality of the peace to be a minister of peace. Now they had to be separated because they were too freaked out by each other. And then I could deal with each of them one-on-one -on -one and be a person of peace. And over time, as they began to realize, wow, this is, this is more like what happened. Things settled in their minds and in their hearts. The heart piece was the most important thing, by the way. I didn't go in there like a reporter. I think this is one of the things that we often get wrong. It's like, let's figure out all the facts and all the details, and I want to confirm the facts, and plus I want to evaluate who's right and who's wrong. All of that stuff gets worked out much later, right, because nobody has the objectivity to get there when they're in distress. So the most important thing is to just be with them. Jesus was just with the disciples. He was just with them. And he helped them to settle. He breathed peace into them. And he helped them to settle. And then over time, as they were in that reality, they began to realize, oh my goodness, actually I did betray the Lord. Peter realizes, I denied the Lord. Because the Lord has ministered peace to, to Peter, he can come to grips with the fact of everything that's been amiss in his life. And this is where peace goes really deep, friends, because there is a line between good and evil, but it is in the human heart, right? So we have to realize that some of what the problem is, the fact that we're in turmoil and trouble right now, is that we have caused some of it. Sometimes because of what Becca preached about last week. We're broken, we're twisted, we have iniquity. We've been trained to live in ways that hurt other people. And we do just live that way. But coming to grips with that is really difficult when you're 
in fight and flight mode. And so I think Jesus takes his time and we took that time with this couple. But one, one of the things that Jesus realizes within his own body is peace. And there was something about this way that I was working with this couple that I started to have a vision for them coming back together again. It's like Jesus having a vision for the kingdom which is to come. He knows that all of it's gonna be resolved and so he can live in that. And he could be a person of peace ministering the future now. Does that make sense? He's so rooted in the resolution that he can minister that peace right now. There's just a little picture of that that I had. These two couples coming together, they were both becoming self-aware of what they contributed to the problem. They were humble, they were compassionate. They were humble, they were compassionate, but they didn't know with each other that that was true. They didn't realize with each other that that was true. They'd felt with me feeling their pain. I think that's the way that one of them put it. It really helps when I feel you feeling my pain. But they needed to feel that with each other, too. And then things started to line up when they, man, I could really see why what I did or said hurt you. I'm sorry. They were with that other person. And a lot of times it wasn't, it wasn't about words, it wasn't about figuring it out. And this is what's so beautiful about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is you're enabled to really be with each other. How does Jesus minister so often? It's just by being with people. I mean, he's with, um, you know, Mary and Martha and their, their brother, John Lazarus, has died, and he's gonna solve the problem. He knows, he's got a vision of how the problem's gonna be solved, but the first thing he does is he weeps with them, and it's a huge heaving sigh of, of compassion, of being with them in their emotion. And then when he gives us the Holy Spirit, he's actually saying, as Paul puts it, that sometimes I'm going to give you a prayer that's like a groan and it's deeper than words and that's more important than all the analysis that will come later. This is deep stuff and it's beyond words and it's deeper than words. And this is what it means to pass the peace. Sometimes we can so live in that reality and then so minister it that incredible, beautiful things happen. This is so important right now. I mean, I, I, I just feel like the church right now doesn't, has not recovered and reclaimed her ministry of peace. That we don't know how to relate, we don't know how to stay in relationship, and we definitely don't know how to repair relationships. But this is the way. This is the way that our Lord does in the power of the Holy Spirit. I wanna give you a couple of recommendations. Take up the breathing prayer, okay? And if it's really bad, use the water. <laughs> put this in, you know, have the cold water put you in mind that you are a child of God. And then breathe in and breathe out the peace of God. Um, tomorrow, the next three days, this is not only Memorial Day, week, day weekend, it's also in the church, it's called um, rogere, uh, the, the days of rog rogation. And that means to ask. And this, this thing started many centuries ago. There was these volcanoes that erupted in a certain village. I can't remember if it was Spain. I don't remember exactly. But these volcanoes erupted and it messed up the landscape and it messed up this agrarian farming community's ability to have, you know, a fruitful life, right? It was a trauma for that whole community. So what they did, 
The church got in a big line and in prayer, they processed to every place where the volcano, volcano had erupted and they prayed prayers of peace and prosperity and fruitfulness. So I want to ask you to take whatever volcanoes have erupted in your life in the next three days and especially proceed in the peace of Christ, breathing it in and minister it at the very places and receive it from the Lord. You may need some help with that. So let friends do that for you. Let the prayer ministers do that for you here on the side, possibly. But you may need some help with that. Peace has a root meaning of joining together, by the way. So, yeah, you need help. We need help. And we need it to be very human. So these are the three things I would encourage you to do. It's to root yourself in peace. Make a break with that that's troubling and reroot yourself in peace by breathing it in. And then pray the next three days for God's peace to go to every place that has been erupted in turmoil. This is an important time of year, and I think the Lord really wants to minister something deep in this way, both in private and in fellowship. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.